and making a difference every day. Welcome to the Animal Care and Welfare Podcast, iBuzz, where we combine the science and practice of animal welfare in a fun and engaging way, where we answer questions, find solutions, discuss tools, and achieve results, all for happy animals and people. I'm your host, Sabrina Brando, and this podcast is brought to you by Animal Concepts, and the Practical Animal Welfare Science Membership Experience. Let's buzz! Welcome to another podcast. Today I'm joined by Heidi Quine. I'm so delighted she's on the podcast with us today, working at Animals Asia. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you so much, Sabrina, and to everyone listening in at home. It's it's such a joy uh, to be here. Yes, I'm delighted you're you know, with us today and talking about, of course, Animals Asia and the bears. And, and I'm sure you're going to share lots of wonderful stories about animals and, of course, also the people who care for them. But, of course, let's just start for those of the listeners not knowing about Animals Asia and also not knowing who you are. Maybe you can give us a short introduction on who you are, where you're from, you know, what your background is and how did you end up with Animals Asia? Sure, I'd, I'd love to do that. Uh, so actually, I'm, I'm an Aussie. I'm from down under. I'm from Australia. Um, I have been working with Animals Asia and based in Asia since 2011, though. So uh, coming up on, on nine years, um, and it's really been the best nine years of my life, I must say. So actually, my, my journey to Asia and helping animals here started many, many years before that. I was actually stationed in Vietnam back in 2000. I was uh, a fresh grad down in Australia. Uh, you would say I was quite green. So I, I didn't know much, fresh out of university. And I remember going to a zoo in Hanoi. And I saw a female elephant. And she was chained up by one of her hind legs. And she was swaying. And I remember feeling well, desperation, to be honest. And I remember wanting so badly to help her, but not knowing how. And so I, I promised myself that I would go back to Australia and I would learn as much as I possibly could about wild animals, domestic animals and animal welfare and come back and help. And so really to be here now, to be with Animals Asia, um, to be in Vietnam is a, a dream realized for me. Uh, and it's been one of the best things that I've, I've ever done. <laughs> it's been really amazing. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I, I started off in China, actually, um, in the China Bear Rescue Center, Animals Asia's first bear rescue center. And I was there for around three and a half years um, before coming down here to, to Vietnam. Wonderful. Can you tell us all, well, probably all is going to be a lot for today, but... <laughs> quite a lot about Animals Asia because of course you know Animals Asia is is so well known and you know all the amazing work that you're doing for the bears in different countries can you tell us more about that what is yeah, the mission I, I, what are you doing yeah yeah I'd love to um, Animals Asia is a an incredible incredible organization um, I think the, the first thing that I would like to say about it is that it, it working here it doesn't feel like a job it, it feels like um, akin to a family family run business we're, we're not a business but that's what it feels like so you know our, our mission is broad um, there's a number of things that we're we're doing at the core of it is to end cruelty and restore respect for animals right throughout Asia and and to do that we have a number of programs so that involves ensuring the humane treatment of dogs and cats here uh, we also work to end the suffering of wild animals in captivity. But one of our biggest focuses, and particularly what I'm working on and what I've been working on 
since joining the foundation was ending the farming of bears for their bile, both in Vietnam and in China, and then providing lifelong sanctuary and care for those bears. Okay, so, you know, that sounds amazing, but then some people might say, what, what is bile, right? Because a, a lot of mm -hmm. people might be, what, what do you mean? Of course, you know, you're caring for these bears, but what is actually the bile industry? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that, that's the key question. That's at the heart of everything. And it's a, it's a massive question. I'll be honest. Uh, from yes. everything. What are some like of the, the things that, uh, yeah, what are some of the things that are, you know, concerned with the bio industry that you have to deal with on a, on a regular basis? Sure. Well, um, just to contextualize, it started the bile, the bear bile industry. It, it actually started in South Korea back in the 70s. And it was um, a misguided attempt, in fact, to protect wild bear populations. So the crux of it is, is that bears um, gallbladders are used and have been part of the East Asian traditional medicine pharmacopoeia for thousands of years. And that's because of their bile, because of the bile found in in the gallbladders of the bears. And so the bear bile industry was started because once upon a time, wild bears were hunted for their bile. And so this industry was an attempt to protect them. Now, unfortunately, right across their range, uh, it's had the opposite effect and wild bear populations are ever more threatened. So right now in, in China, there are around 10,000 bears on farms right across the country. And down here in Vietnam, we have almost 500. Um, now, you might be wondering, of course, why is bear bile used? What, what is yes. it? What is it yes. used for? Why are they used? Why do they want it? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's used to treat a, a range of hepatic and biliary um, conditions. And also here in Vietnam, it's used as like a, a topical ointment. So you might be familiar with something at home. Um, you know, if you, you sustain an injury playing sports and you get a, a muscle sprain uh, and you can buy that over-the-counter cream that sort of has that tingling effect on the skin. Bear bile is often used in the same sort of topical way here in Vietnam. But, uh, for example, it's also finding its way into you know, commercial products where it's not useful whatsoever. Things like toothpaste and shampoo and, and all sorts of things like that. And at the end of the day, the cruelty that is involved in the harvesting of bear bile is unconscionable. And there are herbal and synthetic alternatives which exist. So there's, there's just no good reason for bears to be farmed for their bile. And I can, you know, if you're interested, I can tell you a little bit about the conditions on the farms. Yes, no, I think it's, uh, I, I have been in, you know, the, the Chengdu um, sanctuary and seen the, the cages that you have there at the sanctuary that are all stacked up where the, where the bears, you know, were living. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of education around, you know, what, but I think a lot of people have no idea what happens on a farm and, what conditions are these animals in and for how long are they there and, and how is the bile extracted? What are some of these, these aspects that, because you're saying, you know, it's, it's very cruel. So what happens to these bears? Yeah, you're, you, I mean, you're right. First and foremost, these cages, um, they really form, I guess you can think of it as like the permanent living cage for these bears. Here in Vietnam, they're probably around uh, one and a half meters wide by perhaps two meters long. And when you think about a highly sentient, emotional creature like a bear, and you imagine asking that animal to live in those sort of conditions for 20 or 30 years, it's, I mean, it's almost unbelievable how their spirits and their bodies can possibly, possibly survive it. Um, on the farms, the, the bears are given completely inappropriate diets. Here in Vietnam, it's often, you know, rice gruel, so here we call it congee so it's like a, a rice porridge and perhaps there might be some vegetables or, or perhaps a chicken egg thrown into the mix um, water is not routinely given to the bears so 
you know, any any ideas of a cage with food and water bowls um, completely inaccurate. So the best the bears might hope to get is to, you know, desperately lap from a garden hose as it might be waved past them if the if the farmer happens to be to be cleaning. So of course this wreaks absolute havoc on the bodies and the minds of the bears. We see so many different pathologies and the combination of both the confinement and the poor poor nutrition means that um, many of these pathologies are, are such that we would usually find them in geriatric animals. So the bears will arrive with us that they've got dry and cracked paws because they've been standing on, on bars and rusty bars for you know a decade or two at a time. Uh, we see broken teeth because the bears out of desperation will bite at the bars of their farm cages. We also know the farmers will sometimes cut their teeth to prevent them from um, being able to be bitten. Uh, we see hypertension which is high blood pressure and that's likely from just the chronic stress that the bears are, are faced with and the poor nutrition things like inflammation of the gallbladder, um, malignant tumours, a whole bunch of different orthopaedic problems like kyphosis, which is curvature of the spine and damaged or, or missing limbs. And then there's a whole suite of psychological issues that the bears face as well. It's, it sounds absolutely devastating. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen photos and videos and it is, yeah, it is really, really terrible. And, and, and you talk about so many animals in, in different countries. Are there, you know, does it look like slowly the farmers, because when you say farmers, you're really talking about farming of the bear file. You're not actually, they're not farming anything else, right? Mm, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. the, the bears, they're, they're kept in really an intensive production system to be yeah. honest in these small little cages um, it's I, I didn't perhaps I can tell you a little bit about how the bile is extracted as well um, yes that in itself yes. is such Absolutely. a brutal procedure yeah uh, so the, the the processes are different between China and Vietnam and, and because I'm focused and based in, in Vietnam but I'll tell you about what happens here so it depends on the farmer as to when or how frequently bile will be extracted, but it can be, you know, every week or two or every several, you know, several months. But the, the process here is generally always the same. What will happen is the bear will be roped down, lassoed in their farm cage and either pulled to the floor or pulled brutally to the side of the cage. And then they'll be injected with ketamine, which is like a disassociative, I guess. Um, so it renders them immobile, but somewhat sensible. I think the bears are still at least in some way aware of what's going on. And then what the, what the farmers will do is they actually take a spinal needle. So if you're not familiar with what that looks like, it's, it's a very long, uh, rel relatively thick needle. Uh, it's probably 20 centimeters long. And sort of guided by an ultrasound, but you must remember the, the farmers don't have veterinary training or particular expertise, and so they don't necessarily know what they're looking for. They will um, pierce the bear's abdomen over and over again, blindly trying to hit the gallbladder. And I've, I've heard instances of farmers to check whether or not they have hit the gallbladder, actually sort of touching the end of that needle to their tongue to see if they can taste that bitter bile fluid um, before extracting it for sale. Yeah, so these are very difficult stories, of course, for us to hear because it's yeah. absolutely devastating, but so important that these stories are being told, that we're shining light on really invisible animals because these animals, you know, nobody, they're behind locked doors and yeah so it's so important to tell their story and and, to, and shine lights on those and 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 in what ways do you work with these bear owners and the farms to stop their activities because that that must be quite challenging also because they depend on the it's their source of income right well kind of um most of the farmers we find 
here, uh, the, the, the bear bile farming that they're engaged in isn't their primary source of income. Okay. To, to keep the bears, it's quite an expensive um, industry to be involved in. So generally, I mean, I can think of a specific example. Uh, one bear, her name was Phoenix, who we rescued from a construction site in northern northeastern Vietnam. She actually was formerly owned by a drug lord somebody who was peddling cocaine who'd gone to prison and so i mean anything that he happened to be making on the side from um you know harvesting bile from phoenix i i doubt it would be a drop in the ocean in his overall fortune so it's it's not a huge part of the livelihood of many many farmers here in vietnam and I must say there is a huge light on the horizon. So as, as tough as it is to hear about these stories, my heart is full of absolute hope that we are going to see the, the end of this industry. Actually in um, 2017, so just a couple of years ago, Animals Asia entered into a formal agreement with um, VN Forests, which is the government department responsible for overseeing bear farming in the country. Um, so we, we entered into an MOU to uh, remove all bears from farms across the country by or starting um, in 2022. So we work with the authorities, the authorities and Animals Asia work hand in hand to, to rescue these bears. There's, there's no cloak and dagger, middle of the night, sort of vigilante style sneaking onto bear farms to rescue these bears. We work with our government partners to enact lasting change uh, across the country. That is just such wonderful, wonderful news. I remember, you know, hearing about that and, and hearing this story again gives me goosebumps and, and you talking about hope and, and these positive stories because that's so important, right? Because that is also what is going to help you, not of course only with getting the funding for these really big operations but also people's you know this lasting change that you're talking about this change making um, that is happening and that's that's just wonderful but of course now you already talked about the first sanctuary in china how many sanctuaries are there actually for bears and now that you're working together with the government and colleagues in do you need more sanctuaries where are all these bears going to go yeah, such a good question. <laughs> Absolutely. So right now we, we have uh, two sanctuaries, uh, one in China, uh, the one that you visited, CBRC we call it, and then down here in, in Vietnam where I'm based, we have VBRC, Vietnam Bear Rescue Center. Uh, we have another rescue site in, in China where the team are, are working with a group of bears there, over 100 bears working to bring them back to the China Center. Here in, in Vietnam, as you rightly say, uh, we need to, to look at building more sanctuary space uh, for the you know, almost 500 bears that are currently on farms. Because obviously those, those animals need somewhere to go. They need a lifelong sanctuary. We have space for a total of 200 bears here at VBRC. And we're already uh, permanently housing 185 individual bears. That's so amazing. with space for just 15 more, it is amazing. We're <laughs> one of the biggest uh, bear rescue centers in the world, <laughs> if not the biggest, actually. Um, so we, we are looking at building extra uh, sanctuaries, which we are, or, or an extra sanctuary, which we're hoping to start uh, next year. We're hoping to break ground by, you know, before the, the middle of, of next year. It's an incredibly ambitious, uh, but also very, very exciting project. Um, Gosh, we need every single person listening to this right now. We need you now more than ever to help us with this. Um, it'd be a great Absolutely. time to yes. you know, jump on our website, actually, um, animalsasia.org, just to, to help us out on this. And really so that we can, we can be there for our, our end goal to end bear farming in Vietnam. And absolutely, we can eradicate this industry from an entire country. It is within sight. That's just wonderful. More goosebumps for me here. It's really, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I get these goosebumps are, too. <laughs> I know. It's like these stories of hope. It's, uh, you know, one animal at the time or, or multiple animals, but, you know, just slowly. And, and from visiting, you know, uh, China and the, the sanctuary, but also, of course, talking to you and, and Nicola Field and many others that have worked uh, together, um, 
it's very clear also when you, you're saying, okay, we almost have 200 bears. And some people might be like, whoa, like 200 bears are how, how are you housing them, right? Are they all in separate areas? Because these animals have such a history of, you know, being by themselves, isolated, not necessarily having any, you know, skills or, or physical fitness or psychological trust. And, but actually what was amazing to me visiting the sanctuary and of course hearing also the stories of how you care in Vietnam is that how many animals are actually together and they're doing so right. well in these smaller groups. So, you know, I would love to hear more about, you know, the people working in the sanctuaries or in Vietnam, if you want to talk about your facility, because you're doing such incredible work of, of because what happens when you rescue an animal? Can you talk us through, you know, you, you already said, you know, you're not going down with, you know, a helicopter in the middle of the night. These are <laughs> obviously really, you know, important, uh, very carefully planned, because many of the animals are very, very ill, as you already alluded to. So what happens when you actually going to rescue a bear and then bring them, bring him or her to the sanctuary? Sure. Well, why don't I tell you the story about a bear we, we relatively recently rescued. His name is Tuan. And although we're not meant to have favorite bears, but... <laughs> yes, we are me, meant to have favorite <laughs> Okay, well, good. Okay. I'm going to go public and say that Tuan is my favorite bear. He's, he's just, he's the most incredible moon bear. I'll tell you about Tuan's rescue. Um, I think it's such a beautiful example. So first things first, I should say that bear bar farming, it's actually been illegal in Vietnam since 1992. And so for the authorities to confiscate a bear uh, and then call us to rescue this bear, they you know, there's, there's a few things that they can use in terms of legal avenues to say this bear is being held illegally. So bears that are being privately housed at the moment, which is synonymous with being farmed, um, they have to be microchipped and they have to be registered. Now in Twan's case, uh, this big beautiful bear, he was not microchipped. And so when he was discovered, when the, the Forest Protection Department, which is you know, kind of like forest rangers, I guess, uh, in the English-speaking world. When they when they discovered him and that he wasn't chipped, the, the farmer had no choice but to give him up. Now, it was a particularly exciting rescue because it was incredibly last minute. Usually, our government partners will give us a heads up probably, you know, one or two weeks in advance to say that they're getting paperwork ready to transfer animals or that, you know, for us to be able to transfer animals back to the sanctuary. But in Twan's case, we got a call, right? I got a call at about 1.30 p.m. and we were on the road to go and get in by 3. So our team oh. swung into action. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, our team by now across China and Vietnam, we've rescued 629 bears as I currently speaking. Well, so yeah, you're so you're experts. completely expert. You know, you're yeah. like the fire brigade <laughs> coming down the poles, ready to roll. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, Amazing. I mean, we were on, we were ready. We were ready. Our vet team swung into action. Our quarantine swung into action. Everything, everything was ready. And so we went out to get, to get Tuan. And one of the hardest things, one of the most challenging things when we go to rescue the bears is, I mean, we can, we can be as experienced as we like and we can plan as much as we like, but without a doubt, every rescue is different. We never know what we're going to turn up and find. We don't know the state that the bear will be in. We don't know the state of the farm cage. Uh, ideally, we like, so we take our own transport cages, which I guess it's it's like a giant version of a cat basket or a dog basket that you would take your, <laughs> your dog or your cat to the vet, but it's on wheels because you can't pick up a bear in a transport cage and we take these transport cages along to the rescues and ideally what we like to do is we secure them against the farm cage hopefully it's a, a vertical slide on the farm cage that we can open so that we can ask the bear to voluntarily come into the transport cage for us but sometimes the farm cages don't allow that or the bear is not well um, so you know there's all these things that we don't know about and then we might need to proceed to an anesthetic and then you know remove remove the bear safely from the cage and, and put them into our transport cage anyway we turned up on this farm it was about 40 maybe 40 minutes away from from the sanctuary 
It was in a, a small Vietnamese village. And by the time we arrived, of course, the farmer was there and the, the Forest Protection Department officials were there. And I just, I hadn't seen Tuan yet, but I was immediately overwhelmed with this smell. Just this smell of feces and this sound of squealing. And I mean, I've, I've been around bears for nearly a decade now, and I, I knew that was not, it was neither the, the smell nor the sound of the bear. And it quickly became apparent that this was an intensively managed pig farm. Now we went, we went inside the pig farm and then beside this large shed, which I didn't see the piglets, but I was told there was a, a thousand piglets there. I didn't see them, but beside that, you know, that, that shed was Tuan in, in this tiny little cage that was probably, well, I guess twice as long as he is wide. Um, the cage was rusting around him. There was this pile of feces to the side that was, you know, if, if feces, animal feces has been left and, and not picked up for a length of time, it, it sort of goes gray and powdery. Well, it looked like that. And there was this majestic adult male moon bear looking out at us with desperation in his eyes. Um, and it was just the most humbling feeling having suddenly been called to come and rescue this bear and to find him in such a pitiful state. Now his farm cage, it was, you know, like I say, sometimes there's no way that we can possibly, you know, safely connect our cage to the farm cage. And such was the case with Tuan. So Sean, our, our senior veterinary surgeon, uh, and Hai, our Vietnamese veterinary intern, they anaesthetized Tuan and they were able to, to carefully um, lift him out of the farm cage alongside our veterinary nurse cat and put him onto a, a tarpaulin and move him out to our transport cage in our truck. Actually, when I say easily, Tuan is enormous. I think he may almost be the heaviest bear in the sanctuary from years, you know, he was on this, this farm reportedly for 15 years, being fed goodness knows what, probably the same gruel that the pigs were receiving. And he would be well over 200 kilos. I mean, morbidly obese, really a giant bear. Um, and so we popped him on our stretcher, on our tarpaulin. The, the vets, when they've anaesthetized a bear to remove them from the, the farm cage, they'll, they'll make the most of this quick anaesthetic to quickly scan them with our mobile ultrasound unit, just so that we can, uh, just to see whether or not there's anything internally going on that we need to be aware of that might indicate uh, a more extensive health check back at the sanctuary sooner rather than later. We check their joints, we check their teeth, we check their eyes. Um, anyway, Tuan had more or less, um, you know, reasonable, reasonably good bill of health. And um, we were able to get him back into our transport cage on the back of the truck and then whisk him back to the sanctuary. So, I mean, it was just, it was an exciting rescue, a humbling rescue. And to see Tuan now at the sanctuary is life affirming. It's everything that's right in the world. He. Um, he actually, the, the, the bear after him that we rescued, her name was Valerie, and we rescued her from a circus. And they are best friends. They love each <laughs> other. And it's just wonderful. Just wonderful. Excellent. Well, I'll, I have to, of course, hear about bear friendship stories. I love animal friendship stories. And what, you know, mm -hmm. what does that look like? What are they doing? All that. But, you know, we're maybe going to come back to that. And otherwise, we, we can maybe do another podcast just on the bears. That would be amazing. <laughs> stories. <laughs> love to. would love yeah. to. Yeah, I could talk for hours. <laughs> I can imagine. I could listen for hours. So, you know, so you, you have, he, he's back and, um, you know, when, when you have to transport animals, it can be quite a challenge, right? To uh, like maybe get them even to voluntarily enter transport cages sure. or get them, because I can imagine they want to get out of there, right? They're like you say, they have mm -hmm. that, that desperation feeling. Do, in, what, in what ways have you seen bears react when you come and rescue them? Or are they, you know, I could imagine also suspicious of people and fear. Or, or just very, even, even thinking, okay, this is going to be a good thing? Yeah, so, such a good question, Sabrina. It, like here at the sanctuary, 
Um, if we're asking our bears to come into our transport cages or even into, say, our weigh cages, because we weigh all of the bears um, at least three times a year, we use things like honey and condensed milk and really high-end rewards, uh, you know, that high-end high rewards that are really sticky and sweet and delicious and they you know they make the bears or they help the bears want to come into these cages. Now uh, we actually had a rescue of three bears just last week, uh, literally eight days ago, uh, from Nam Dinh province which is also in northern Vietnam and I'll just I'll never forget it for the exact reason that you're asking. We turned up this, this rescue actually occurred at a forest protection department headquarters. They they'd confiscated these bears from a farm. And we, we turned up and it became clear that we would actually be able to safely connect our transport cages to the farm cages. And so we did that um, one by one, these three bears, their names are, are James, Bun and Alice. And so James, he, he had um, the transport cage connected to his farm cage. We opened both of the slides and we know to be patient with these bears. We know that their entire life they've been taught to distrust humans and that humans do bad things and we cause pain. So we know it's going to take time, but we also know that with time we can win the bears over. But with James, no. Honey on a spoon, no. Condensed milk, no. Dried sweet potato or dried fruit, no. And, and these are usually kryptonite for a bear. Um, <laughs> most bears love these things, but James, no. He, um, it was actually, it was tragic. It was like he was stuck in his own head. He was so fiercely uh, stereotyping, pacing back and forward at the back of his farm cage that we we could not pull him out of it for more than a moment. He, he might have taken a, a lap of honey and then nothing. So we tried for a while and then um, we were right about to disconnect our transport cage and probably go down the route of anesthesia. And I I thought, I'm, I'm just going to give it one try. Um, Having having watched the team, um, Guy, our bear team supervisor, had been doing the most incredible job with him, with all the patience and kindness and love in the world. And I thought, I'll give it one try. And I kept thinking back to a book written by Elsa Poulsen, who is world-renowned for um, her, her bear expertise, particularly her bear behaviour expertise. And I remember this story about Elsa sitting with a polar bear in a zoo, asking a polar bear to engage in a particular behaviour, but not getting anywhere until she realised this polar bear was in pain. And so I sat there and I watched James and I thought about Elsa and what she'd said about asking, what, what are you trying to tell me, bear? What do you need me to know? And... James was frothing. He was frothing at the mouth and he was panicked and it was hot because it's Vietnam and it's sort of coming into summertime now. And I thought to myself, my God, the last thing that you would want, the last thing I would want is a big cup of something sickly sweet. You probably want water. And so I went to get a cup. We have like long cups, like shake pots, sort of like milkshake cups, I guess, tall, long, narrow pots, which we can safely use to you know, present at the, the side of the bars or the, the side of a cage and the bears can safely lap from them and it's, you know, safe for our fingers as well. And as soon as I presented this cup for him, he lapped at it desperately, absolutely desperately. And I was able to slowly move from the back of the cage and ask him to follow me around all the while presenting this cup of water. But I would get to the edge of where his farm cage married up with our transport cage and he would come no further and he would he would retreat to the back of the cage and re-engage in this you know desperate head swaying behavior and again thinking about what Elsa had always said think about what the bears want and what they know and I realized James didn't know about water bowls he, he certainly didn't know about water cups he knew about hoses and he knew that if he wanted to drink, that, that farm hoses was, or, or garden hoses was where water would come from. So I actually, I called to the team and I said, please, can you, can you get me a hose? Uh, and I think it was um, 
our amazing country director, Tuan, who might have grabbed a, a hose from the Forest Protection Department. And as soon as we turned that hose on, it was a complete game changer. James turned around, laser focused on this hose, and I was able to calmly and, and gently offer him this hose, inching it closer and closer to our transport cage until we were inside the transport cage. And then, well, the, the hose was, and then just to slowly work it back towards the edge of our transport cage where he continued to lap. I could introduce him to the water bowl that was in the transport cage. And then our bear team supervisor who was, you know, maneuvering the, 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 the cage slides was able to safely secure um, James into the cage. And I, it just taught me so much. It just so, so much. James was a, a beautifully instructive teacher in that moment about how whenever we're looking after animals, no matter how long we might have been looking after them or how much we think we know about them, there's always more to know if all we do is listen and ask, what are you trying to tell me? Yes, yes. And it makes me silent because it's deeply touching. It's, it's a beautiful story and it is also such a beautiful tribute to Elsa's work. Yeah, I mean, she was an amazing person. Her writing, her, all her knowledge is just phenomenal. And, and how beautiful that you, that, that she came, you know, into your mind and heart to think about, okay, so what is this bear trying to tell me? You know, how can I think? What is it that, that James needs in this moment? It's absolutely beautiful. And, yeah. and always something to to learn about the individuals that we're working with. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Yeah, I mean, James really became an ambassador for for kindness and for interspecies empathy and understanding one another in that moment. It's it, a huge lesson, a huge lesson he taught me. I'm grateful for it. Yes, beautiful. And, and you talked about also how, you know, that to me was so striking. And always when I talk about animal welfare and if I talk about Animals Asia and, you know, animals being able to bounce back and, you know, really become more resilient and learning new behaviors, I always use also the examples of you, you still, again, being able to get these animals to voluntarily step into transport cages and other you know boxes where you would think they would never ever want to go back into that but your teams the people working at animals asia with the bears do such a phenomenal job of you know working with them and using positive reinforcement and kindness and chatting and all the other positive you know human animal relationship building aspects yeah. to, to really get the animals back you know into including transport cages, which, you know, when I saw that in Chengdu, I was really, uh, really, you know, impressed because, you know, that is just showing what you can do with love and kindness. And, and of course, you know, learning behavioral principles like positive reinforcement and, and, you know, yeah, just amazing, really wonderful. So can you talk more about, you know, all, you already mentioned, you know, the amazing staff members, veterinarians and, others you're working with, who, who are the people working in your um, facility, local or, you know, obviously you come from Australia, but tell me more about the team, please. Well, to, to sum them up in one word, it would be heroes. They're, they're absolute heroes. And, to, you know, what a joy to come to work every day and to be surrounded by the kind of people that I always wanted to grow up and be like. So in our, our bear and vet department, we have, um, there's 68 of us that are responsible for the daily bear care and then also the veterinary care of the bears. Um, the majority of our team are uh, Vietnamese nationals. So we have a lot of um, people from the local community and even further afield that have been with us since the very beginning here in Vietnam. So over 10 years um, and know these bears and refer to these bears uh, as if they were their children and they know you know that the smallest smallest little deviation in their normal behavior and the team is on it and they know something's up and they know to flag it with our behavioral managers and our, our veterinary team which is just absolutely incredible uh, and then we also have a, a much smaller team of expatriate staff um, comprising 
well, foreign experts really. So we have uh, Sean and Kate and Rach, our, our vets, um, which, you know, these guys all hail from different places, the UK and, and New Zealand. Um, and then we have Sarah and Amanda and Chian, our behavioral specialists who are from New Zealand, Australia and Vietnam. Chian, Chian is our first ever uh, Vietnamese bear team manager or behavioral specialist, which is, um, I mean, we're, we're so incredibly uh, in awe of Chian and all that he's achieved alongside learning uh, to become a behavioral expert, he taught himself English. So he has access to all of the same global materials that we, you know, to be honest, probably take for granted in a place like Australia or the UK, uh, because so much of the literature out there in, in terms of animal welfare science is in English. Uh, and then we also have uh, two foreign vet nurses, a South African and an, another Australian. Um, but one thing that I'm really proud of in our department is this capacity building that we're doing, like with people like Chien, building pathways for Vietnamese people to rise through the ranks in Animals Asia and to become, frankly, ambassadors for animal welfare for the next generation and to become leaders um, in this movement and to really like be part of this groundswell of change that's happening right now in the country. We actually, just a couple of years ago, three years ago now, we started here at VBRC a veterinary intern program for recently graduated Vietnamese vets. So actually, uh, Hai is our current Vietnamese veterinarian. He's just finishing now a one-year placement or a one-year internship with us. And before that, we had uh, Dr. Ziem, who graduated with us after, after two years in the intern program. And I'll, I'll never... I'll never forget what Ziem said uh, when she finished up. She said that doing the internship program with us uh, changed her perspective about animal welfare as a vet and that it, it taught her to consider what's best for animals and what she can do to make their life happier and healthier. And moreover, that two years at VBRC and with Animals Asia really guided her to become the vet that she always wanted to become and that it changed her life and her thinking. And really, I, I consider this somewhat of a, a compounding investment. So Ziem now is, is going out into the, the veterinary field here in Vietnam. She's based down in Ho Chi Minh City and she set up a, a locum business. And she's now going on to teach other Vietnamese vets some of the skills and the techniques and indeed the animal welfare concepts that she learned while she was with VBRC and Animals Asia. And it's just incredible to think of the systemic and long-lasting change that's occurring because of these programs. Um, it always reminds me of something our, our founder and CEO, Jill Robinson, said. She said it's like throwing a pebble into the middle of a pond and watching these ripples spread ever outwards. And that's what's happening right now. These ripples of um, respect for animals, these ripples of animal welfare science understanding of better veterinary medicine and of better animal husbandry. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Absolutely. It is absolutely. And like you say, the importance of, you know, the sustainability and, and local engagement and people and becoming these animal welfare advocates and, you know, through the, your intern program. But then, of course, also, like you mentioned, you know, opening uh, an animal, probably a domestic animal practice that so even, you know, learning from bears and welfare now, you know, trickles in, as you say, or creates waves in through this peb through these pebbles in the domestic animal, the companion animal. Uh, field and of course you know zoos and and other areas so it's it's just amazing really really great yeah it's I mean it's something that we just feel so passionate about um, you know having we don't subscribe to a model where we have foreign expats um, or foreign experts coming in sorry um, and not invest in a systemic change um, and education for our, our Vietnamese colleagues. Uh, I mean, really, I, I think we probably take it for granted, um, the, 
the education and the access to information about animal welfare science that we have in Australia, in the US, in the UK. And that that's sort of just just bubbling to the surface now in Vietnam, there is, you know, there is a growing movement of animal welfare and we really want to invest in that and to create the next generation of animal welfare leaders and, and let those people be our Vietnamese colleagues. Absolutely. And, and that is so key to any type of change, right? The sustainability, the, the internal aspects of working together and constantly learning, right, from the animals, but Absolutely. also from, from others, from people, their, the cultural aspects, the religious aspects, but, you know, lots of different things that are coming into play when we're trying to affect long-term change and sustain that change. So, yeah, no, I think that's just so key. And we, you know, know of so many other examples of where, you know, that, that training, the capacity building and learning from each other has made you know, changes for animals and the people, of course, around as well as they're learning more. Because a lot of it is also, you know, of, if you say ignorance in the sense of not knowing that, you know, we can have different relationships to animals around us, or, you know, it's not necessary to use, you know, bile, uh, but there's other alternatives. And a lot of, a lot of it is tradition. Uh, and, and I remember when I was visiting in Chengdu, there was a small tea shop and um, the, the lady there, she, um, she was talking about, you know, uh, different types of teas. And we got a chatting and we actually ended up being about three hours in that shop. And she did tea ceremonies. And, but what drew me into the shop was a sign that she had on the outside about rhino horn and her alternatives of teas that wow. you know yeah that that were much you know better and completely you know she, her she was by herself an advocate for an alternative and changing you know being chinese trying to reach out to her community and people around to make those changes so and that is so important right and and i learned so much from her and how she interacted with people coming into her shop and, and lots of people asking also about it and and you know turning into tea rather than to rhino horn and and of course that is very true when you're working of course in in the educational aspect of animals asia's work to you know tell people about alternatives and making you know changes can you talk a little bit about the educational programs that revolve uh, around the work of that Animal Asia is doing. Yeah, absolutely. So something that I think is a real strength of Animals Asia and something that we, we could be so proud of is that we do drive this sustainable stakeholder inclusive change. So one specific example is we actually entered into an agreement with the Traditional Medicine Association of Vietnam for the practitioners of the association to phase out the prescription of bare bile by 2020, so by this year. And that, that forms part of an overarching and a much bigger program that we have about addressing demand, which I think is crux to human behavior change, not just removing bare bile from the market, but also addressing the demand side of things. So our, our country director, Tuan Ben Dixon, he heads up the most incredibly inspiring program uh, working with traditional medicine practitioners to actually provide uh, these ongoing free health clinics in a local community that's around, gee, about an hour from BBRC. So these health clinics in this village or commune called Phuc Tuong are actually taking place in one of the last strongholds of bear bile farming here in the country. There are dozens and dozens of bears in this village. And so Animals Asia has taken a very cooperative and very peaceful approach to addressing the problem. Going into this village alongside traditional medicine practitioners to provide free health days where we have the traditional medicine doctors there and members of the local community will come. They can 
get free health checks, the traditional medicine um, doctors will actually prescribe herbal alternatives to bear bile where it's warranted, where it's uh, indicated by whatever ailments happen to be afflicting these people. Uh, and as well as that, of course, we have uh, Animals Asia's educational um, officers are there to be able to talk to the people. It's very respectful and it's a very gentle approach, which I think it it's founded in respect and lends itself to a very sustainable um, change in that local community. Uh, and if, if nothing else speaks volumes about the power of that program, it is that last year we were able to rescue the first and the only bear that's ever managed to make it out of that village. And her name was Amy. So, and I, I just, I know it was because of Tuan's work and everything that, that he and the team are doing there to win over the hearts and the minds of the villagers in Phuong Thuong. Amazing. I, I mean, there's just, to me, so many silent moments where I just want to just, you know, really have this sink in um, because mm -hmm. these, these are really powerful messages that you're conveying to us about, you know, the importance of connection and kindness and understanding and humanity, uh, even though people, you know, it's so easy to be hostile and not understanding and to people that are doing things that we think they shouldn't be doing. Um, yeah. And so these are such powerful messages um, and stories that you're sharing. It's so true. Um, Animals Asia is kindness in action. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You work with an amazing group of people in Vietnam, but through the whole organization. And, you know, I would love to hear, you know, we come almost an hour into this podcast, so we're <laughs> close to, to wrapping up, but I would love for you to share one or two beautiful stories of people and animals or an animal friendship story or because of everybody loves good stories, especially about human animal, you know, friendships and interactions. And of course the bears, you know, it's all sure. about the bears. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Then let me tell you about the story of two sun bears called Sassy and Layla, two female sun bears. So Sassy, uh, she arrived, goodness, it must be almost 10 years ago now. So she's been at the sanctuary for a while. She was the 63rd bear that we rescued. So it was back in, you know, relatively speaking, the early days. And she was young. Um, she was only a cub when we rescued her. Um, it became apparent that she had some issues with her sight. And she was traumatized, such a traumatized um, child basically. We tried so many things. Um, one of the keys to our, our bear management, our bear care here, is that we, we let the bears dictate the pace of their rehabilitation. We, you know, we do everything um, to give the bears as much choice and control over their lives as we possibly can. And so it was with, with Sassy. The team spent um, years with her trying to trying to get through the wall that she'd put up uh, that she'd been taught to put up at the hands of people um, and nothing nothing really worked we didn't have other young sun bears at the time that we could integrate her with we tried her with young moon bears instead and it, it, it wasn't particularly successful it seemed that sassy was happier not with the other young moon bears rather than with them so um, you know we just to be honest, we were probably um, starting to think that perhaps this was a bear that we might not be able to successfully integrate with others. Now by 2014, so some years later, along comes another young sun bear cub and her name was Layla. Now Layla had actually been kept as a pet um, for you know, some months. She was only quite young by the time that she, she got here. And she was full of this youthful exuberance and quite focused on people because she'd come in as you know a former a former pet and we placed her near sassy when you know when she'd finished her quarantine 
And it became apparent that Layla might actually be the key to Sassy's rehabilitation. And it turned out that was exactly the key. So after years of people trying to, trying to get through and earn Sassy's trust and to win her over, it actually, what it took was this young, none the wiser, boisterous and full of life little sun bear cub, Layla, who we were able to introduce with the, you know, slightly, we waited until Layla was big enough to introduce to an adult sun bear. But, you know, she was younger than Sassy and that was the turning point. That, that was it. That was for Sassy. So as much as we like to say that we rescue these bears, I have two things to say to that. The bears also rescue us and the bears rescue each other. Absolutely. Yes. Beautiful again. You're really, you're really getting at my, my heart uh, with all these stories. <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. And I think, in, like you say, you know, they, they rescue us. And, and what, what does it take, right, for, for sometimes it's a person that's going to make a bear happy or it's going to be a bear that makes a person happy. And then sometimes it's a bear and a bear and a person yeah. and a person, of course. But it's all about happy animals and also happy people. And, and that is a very yeah. important part, right? Because you and your team and the whole organization are doing so much quite difficult work. And it's extremely important to stay well yourself, right? To serve the bears, to serve the greater cause that you're working on. It's so important that you are happy as a person. And I know that you, like me, feel very passionate about human well-being, you know, to be happy ourselves and to have happy animals that we care for. Mm -hmm. And can yeah, absolutely. You talk, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the happiness of people and in, in an animal care workplace in Animals mm. Asia? Yeah, sure. I mean, exactly like you say, like you, it's something I feel really passionate about. And my, I guess my professional mantra uh, or guiding principle is that happy people equal happy bears. I mean, you, you know, of course, there's just, there's more and more research into the relationship between animal health, um, animal carers, sorry, and the welfare experienced by animals in their, their care. Uh, I think in the literature, it's, it's often or the animal carers are often referred to as um, stockmen. So the relationship between stockmanship and, and animal welfare. Of course, the, the people who are caring for these bears, they have such an enormous, almost immeasurable impact on the welfare experienced by the bears um, every day. Anyone, anyone who's, who's had um, looked after an animal um, or shared their life with a dog or a cat, uh, they know that, that body language matters, that the energy that you bring to any sort of an interaction with an animal has an impact on that relationship. Body language, tone of voice, your posture, absolutely everything. And that is doubly or triply important when you're talking about highly traumatized bears like you know we're dealing with when they first come off the farms. And so Everything that we do here at Animals Asia, it's centred on a core of respect, not only for the bears, but, but for the people as well. And that, that speaks to our core um, value of kindness, I guess you can say. And it's just, it's so incredible to see the change in the bears and it's so incredible to see the change in the people. Whether it's bears or whether or not it's people that you see with Animals Asia for you know, a couple of months or a couple of years, you see a change. Um, and how can you not working and living in this kind of environment? We're all sentient creatures, the bears and, and humans alike, and we're all affected by it um, for the better. Yeah, Animals Asia is an incredible organisation doing incredibly powerful, powerful things in the world and really making the world a better place. Beautiful. And, and how do, do you work with your team with regards to, you know, self-care and, and because you obviously all see quite, you know, difficult situations, you know, devastating situations. And so, you know, in, in what ways do you work together in a team to, you, you know, to, to wrap your hearts and heads around all the things that you see? And then, of course, the beautiful hope stories and, 
and how the animals recover often um, and, and become these beautiful, these beautiful creatures that they, of course, are meant to be uh, because of now being in such a good place. But how do you work with your team in dealing with all the, the joys and the sorrows, as they often call them, that come with, with, our, with our jobs? Sure. I mean, absolutely right. Uh, and I, I won't lie, we see some crushing, crushing stuff. But, um, <laughs> you know, at the sanctuaries, we, we call it therapy, which is a portmanteau of bear, bear. plus therapy, therapy. <laughs> oh, therapy. Oh, oh wonderful, yeah. wonderful. So <laughs> we, excuse the corniness, but um, it's true. It's a thing. Love we it. we Love like it. to say that it, it's, <laughs> it's hard to have a bad day when the bears are just outside your door. And, uh, I mean, it might sound trite, but I really mean it. You, you can like any other any other I guess work if you want to call it that as much as it doesn't feel like work you know you can have hard days or you can see really bad stuff but going out and seeing the bears and getting a dose of therapy in the enclosures seeing the bears like just they don't even have to be doing anything perhaps they're just lying in the sunshine or they're splashing in the pool none the wiser that you're watching them and just to know that you have played some small, small part in giving this bear the life that they deserve. That is really healing. And we have each other as well. I mean, the team here at the sanctuary, it's hard to put into words the bond that we have. It, it almost doesn't sound real if I try to explain it to somebody who hasn't experienced it firsthand. But we, we feel like family. And some of my lifelong friends are people that I've met through Animals Asia. And I mean, Sabrina, we're friends. We met through Animals Asia, right? We did, it, it yes. Brings, yeah, it brings similar minds and similar hearts together. And we become pillars of support for one another. And we allow one another to experience some of the really dark moments together. And also, we're there to buoy each other through all of those moments and to celebrate wins with each other. And sometimes it's the small wins that you've just got to latch onto and as small as they might be, focus on and use them as fuel to keep putting one foot in front of the other and just to never lose hope because you never, you never know what tomorrow may bring. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm, like I said, you bring lots of moments of silence for me because it's deeply touching. <laughs> um, yeah, all these messages of hope and these one foot in front of another. And there's there. You just reminded me of one of the poems that I, you know, talked about when I was doing my storytelling exam. And the end of the poem is something along the lines of, you know, like a, a better world. It's on its way. Right. If you're like silent, you, you can actually hear it. You know, she can, she's on her way. And it's such a beautiful, all your stories today about hope, about animals, about small changes and big changes are just so empowering, you know, to take us like through these dark times and these difficult times, but to look at that light, as you said, that is at the horizon that we can do this we are going to do this and um, of course you are all going to do this um, and I'm going to cheer you on and support in any way I can <laughs> because it's absolutely amazing I'm so so delighted that you are here today and honored to, that you've shared all this and really grateful um, to, to call you my friend because I think all of you are doing such an amazing job so thank you so much for being on the podcast today and before you know you're going to go we need one more little story of Tuan. <laughs> <laughs> one last story. Oh my one goodness. Story. I, only one? Only one? Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I think so. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll tell you. I'm glad Tuan, Tuan the Bear doesn't know that I'm, I'm telling this story because perhaps it's, it's not a very flattering story. Um, but he's just this big, lovable, I've got to say very fat bear, and we are addressing that, but I'll just, I'll never forget this one vision of him. I climbed up onto the top of the 
the bear house where he lived. Um, when I say climbed, I don't mean I was on like clambering up a roof. There's a second story to the the, the bear houses where we can Health and safety. be up there. <laughs> yes, exactly. I thought I should be very careful with my words. I wasn't on a, I wasn't on a roof, so to speak. Um, I was on the second floor of a bear house. That's probably the best way to say it. And you can look down into the bear dens. It's, it's perfect for um, visualizing the bears in their, in their sleeping baskets. Anyway, I just... Tuan hadn't been here very long and I, I was a bit worried about him later at night. And I actually, I snuck down to his house. It was kind of after dark and I, I went inside and I remember, <laughs> I remember finding him in there. And um, he's kind of like this big giant Labrador personality kind of bear. He's just a big, lovable, friendly, chumbawamba of a bear. Not to put too fine a point on the fact that he's quite large. Anyway, I just remember, I looked down at him and he looked down at me and I just remember the sight because it was his pointy little nose that just swelled out to this great pyramid of a form of a bear, like his big bottom swelling out behind him. And he just gave me this big slack-jawed smile, you know, in my sort of diffused torchlight. And I thought, you know what? We have done something really, really good. <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> He's a good uh, bear. He's a yeah. good bear. He's got yes. mortal love. He's a little curvaceous, but it's just mortal love. Good old Tuan bear. <laughs> oh, excellent. We'll have to have, a, of course, a beautiful picture of Tuan, you know, with the podcast so people can Absolutely. see who he is and any other yep. bears you want to share or videos. Because, of course, we're going to also add in the website, how people can support Animals Asia in general or yes, your sanctuary in specific. And of course, you know, yeah, anything else that, that you might want to add, we're going to put it in there because, yeah, we want to hear more about Tuan and all the amazing work that you're doing. So thank you so much for being on this podcast and for sharing messages of hope and change. And, and it's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Heidi. Thank you, Sabrina. What a joy to share the stories of the bears and uh, absolute best of luck with um, practical animal welfare science. What, a, what an incredible initiative. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And yes, can't wait to hook up with you again and talk, have a whole podcast only about bear stories. <laughs> it's so. a date. I love it. It's a date. <laughs> All right. You take care and um, goodbye to everyone listening at home. Absolutely. You too. Take care. Bye now. Bye. Already the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Find us on your favorite platform and leave your comments and suggestions. Or go to the Animal Concepts website to send us your questions and feedback. We are so happy to answer them and address them in future podcasts. Animal Concepts is dedicated to helping you care for animals and yourself. Are you interested in quality animal care and welfare content, in actions and resources for you to be well while caring for animals? Then check out PAWS, the practical animal welfare science platform, which has webinars, science into practice case studies, private Facebook live sessions, and a lot of resources for you and the animals you care for. You can share your experiences and connect to animal care professionals and scientists from around the world. In the meantime, take care of you and the animals and keep buzzing. <laughs>